Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of A Journey Through Time and Stuff. My name is Aaron, and, uh, oh man, what's up, everybody? It's, for me, it's a Saturday night. It's like 11 p.m., and I'm just sitting here, and I've been, uh, working, working in the studio, getting some stuff done, had a nice little day of running some errands, went to Walmart and bought a fucking microwave, and I'll tell you, they have... (laughs) They have a lot of microwaves out there on the market, and it seems like the coolest ones are some of the most inexpensive ones. And so, here's a couple things we need. One, we cook on the stove. We don't we don't cook in the microwave, but there are things that are convenience, right? Like melting butter, uh, a bag of popcorn warming up a cup of coffee, you know, things like that. So we went, okay, we want a small microwave. We don't need a big one. We don't have a lot of counter space anyway. So after we had everything set and we've cooked all the meals and, you know, I've gotten ways around it. I take my, you know, I make, I make coffee in a, like a Mr. Coffee drip maker, right? I mean, I'm not a fancy boy. Um, And so you can always just pour your cup in the coffee out of the, carafe into the mug and then um go stick it in the microwave warm it up or what i figure it can do is you just take a nice little metal pot put the coffee in the metal pot and warm it up on the stove over the fire right um that works too warms it right back up again takes a little longer is it just as effective maybe does it change the flavor a little more yeah i don't know probably you can make those arguments for any of that but i think you know, we got around it, but the ease in the morning, right? You don't want to pull out a pot and start the stove and watch there and watch your coffee warm up. You just want to put it in the microwave, minute and 30 seconds, and it's done. You know it. So yeah, we went and picked out a neat little microwave and it's blue, like a light teal blue. It looks old. It looks like a like an old piece of technology it's one of those like vintagey looking modern ones has a knob on it that you can still turn and stuff it's cool i mean it beeps and it's digital but it's cool um yeah had a good day came back uh went to the went to the local store bought some carcasses brought those frozen carcasses home and thawed them out to feed to my uh vipers my my serpents those carcasses are rats, and uh, my serpents are my ball pythons. They both uh, got fed tonight. That's pretty good. It made me feel productive, made me feel like a, a caregiver. Um, yeah, and, and then, you know, the, the big cool thing is is I have a fucking show tomorrow, everybody. Uh, you'll, you'll be listening to this. Oh, <laughs> you'll be listening to this on Monday. So I'll tell you, I had a really fucking cool show on Sunday, yesterday, uh, from Monday's point of view, I hope. From Saturday's point of view, I'm a little nervous. It's uh, We have not played a show since September of 2021. So it... Um, it's 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 a little it's jumping back on stage a little bit of ring rust you know got to knock the cobwebs off we've been practicing like crazy i'm not worried about the music there's a little bit of me that's like you know nervous about 
messing up, nervous about uh, a couple of my singing parts. Um, I don't have the the routine on stage all the time to help keep that confidence built. You know, when we were last gigging before the pandy, um, I was I was very, pretty confident in my self on stage and it um and it showed you know i i i feel like i'm kind of back to that thing where i have to feel like i have to fake it again i have to go on and pretend i'm more confident than i am um, i mean i mean i'm i'm i am so excited to go play and you know we have another gig in may and lots of cool shit coming up so um yeah that'll be fun that'll be lots of fucking fun um so there's that you know oh another really cool thing i um got some more lights set up mood lighting set up in my studio here uh one thing i had wanted to do in my last studio setting that i never got to do that I never got to do adequately was uh, establish a video game corner in my studio. I had had the shelf to do it. <coughs> I had the TV to do it. And I had the consoles to do it. And for a while, I did. I set up my, my 360, my Xbox 360. Um, oh, and my original Wii in different orientations in my old podcast studio but because the room was smaller and i didn't have quite the room for activities and i had more stuff in the room uh than i do now um it 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 caused for like a clutter and so in arranging this again my studio now i went okay i know what i'm doing i need to designate a corner and the shelf just to house my TV, my Xbox, my 360, and my Wii. Um, there's a reason I have those in here of all of my consoles. I have a lot of consoles. Maybe I should do a rundown of my um, of my consoles. I have a modern replica, like the digital version. You don't have to actually put the cartridge in, but it still has all the games, and it plays just like it, Duck Hunt and all that stuff, NES. Um, I have an original SNES with a crap load of games. I have an N64 with a crap load of games. Not as many as the SNES, but still a good chunk of games. Um, then I have somewhere in Alaska still a original Xbox. Then I have, but I guess I can't count that because it's not here. But then here... I have uh, my 360, my Wii, my Wii U. Uh, I have an Xbox One. Beth has an Xbox One. Yeah, it's pretty fucking awesome. We like gaming, everybody. We fucking game. Um, and then on my PC, I play Red Alert. It's the only game I play, Red Alert, Command & Conquer Red Alert, the original one. Uh, that's my childhood game, and I fucking love it. Um, but out in the living room, we have the newer 
Xbox One for the main console and the big TV. And then out there, I have the N64, the Wii U, and the SNES and the NES. Because those are for like if people are over and you want to do something fun, what's funner than than busting out the NES and playing Mario or Donkey Kong or, or uh, you know, Excite Bike or or any cool game like that. And then you can pull out the SNES and Mar- Super Mario World. I mean, how fucking fun is that? I've been uh, playing the shit out of uh, A Link to the Past Zelda. That's great. Uniracers. I mean, Kirby All-Stars. Uh, Super Mario 3. Uh, you, you have so many games to play on the SNES. And then there's the N64, of course, Smash Bros, Mario Kart, Mario, Zelda, Ocarina of Time, and Majora's Mask. Um, <laughs> go down the line, uh, Goldeneye, you know, fuck, there's everything, Perfect Dark, um, oh, Battle Tanks, Worms Armageddon, um, WCW NWO Raw, uh, WrestleMania 2000. Um, God damn, there's so many good N64 games, and those are yeah. And then and then the Wii U for the new Smash Bros, Super Smash Bros, the Wii U edition, the Wii Mario U, the the cool new bubble version Mario game. That's fucking game's awesome. Um. Yeah, and so those are the games, those are the systems we have out there for, uh, you know, co-op play, gameplay, people having fun, nostalgia's sake, laughter, passing a controller around with a cord still attached to the console, all of that good times, those are in the, the living space. And then in here, uh, I have the Wii U, because I'm, or the Wii, I mean, um, Super Mario Bros. on the Wii is fun, I love playing that game. Uh, Super Mario Galaxy. Those are great. Prince of Persia. Um, and then I have, I'm playing some Zeldas on that one. So right now, I am playing through, um, the Skyward Sword, which is pretty fucking fun. I'm having a good, you know, gameplay is a little weird. It's a little different. You can fly with a bird and that's kind of neat. And there's some stuff like that, but Skyward Sword's fun. And then I'm going to do Twilight Princess next. Those are both amazing. Um, actually, I, I, I have to lie. Skyward Sword is amazing. I have not played Twilight Princesses. I've heard mixed reviews about that, but I like Zelda. Um, yeah, and then on on uh, my 360, I'm playing you know, GTA V, of course. Uh, Red Dem Redemption, the original one. Um, I have, uh, yeah, quite a few games. I'm going back through... The original Assassin's Creed. I'm playing Assassin's Creed Valhalla on my Xbox One, and then sometimes going back through and redoing all of the old Assassin's Creeds that I have for the 360. Um, I still love the original Forza for the 360. That fucking game is so much fun. Forza 2 is really good too. Um, but I put so much fucking time into the original Forza. I've had that game for holy fuck i can't even i can't even i mean it was it was 
I was in college. I think I got it. <sighs> Fucking. When did the 360 come out? Let me check that. Because it wasn't long after. Xbox 360. When did the Xbox 360 come out? 2005. Oh. Yeah, it was a f- unveiled in 2005. It launched worldwide in 2005. So definitely by mid-2006, I know I had a 360. Um, I, I had to have. At least by 2007, I had one. Yeah, and that was a lot of fucking fun. Um, but yeah, I, I, this isn't that one, <laughs> obviously. Well, where is it? Is it my original fucking Xbox 360 that I still have? Oh, that's hard to to tell. I don't remember where my other one would have gone. This may, in fact, be my 2006-2007 issue Xbox 360, and I'm just now realizing that. Um, I know this is the original Wii that we got from back in the day, the original Series 1 Wii. Um, yeah, I like keeping my shit. I like holding on to it. Uh, I have music on my 360 that goes way back, but none of this is the real point I wanted to actually talk about today. So the point was, is I wanted to go through, um, I, I've been talking on the podcast a lot about, oh, uh, you know, doing, um, self-improvement, doing a lot of work to, to heal our minds, doing work to, to make us feel, uh, less anxious and less stressed and, and, uh, degrading about ourselves and, and, uh, dealing with resistance. I started the, uh, war of art, Stephen Pressfield series. I'm not going to read that today. Maybe, I don't know. I think I have a couple things that I think is going to take up all the time I want to spend. Um, but I wanted to talk about, uh, I know I have talked about, and, and th- this is actually responding to an email I got, um, or I should say a message, not an email, um, that uh, I talk about doing the, 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 the mental work of analyzing your, your thoughts, analyzing your rationale, how you come to think the things you think, uh, guiding yourself through the world, all of, all of that cognition. Um, and I, I talk about doing the work on, on discovering that and, uh, uh, being honest with yourself about what you believe and how. And, um, I, but I never really describe the process in itself of doing it. I haven't yet. I haven't talked about specifically what I did to do that. Um, and so I'm going to today. I'm going to talk about uh, important things. Uh, the, another thing that was brought up was in the episode with Aaron, uh, when we were talking about meditation and uh, therapy and things like that, um, ego and stuff, I talked about being a skeptic. And... After the conversation, after our conversation, we were still chatting after we turned the mics off. And I said that word again. And she goes, God, we're so different. And I go, what? 
And she goes, oh, you just said skeptic twice, you know, and you, I, I'm not a skeptic. And I go, I think you are. And she, and she looked confused and I go, do you think I mean cynic? And she goes, yeah. Like just reject everything on its face until you know, I'm like, no, 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 no. Skepticism is not cynicism. Cynicism is unhealthy. Cynicism, just being a negative Nancy, rejecting everything on whole cloth, uh, impervious. No, no, no. That's that's unhealthy. Skepticism is having a a healthy regard for facts and warranting one's belief based on the evidence available with every claim you're ever presented. Um, and <laughs> in thinking about this and, and kind of running over all of this in my mind as I was preparing for tonight's podcast, I had, I, I watch, uh, I follow quite a few physicists and things because I love particle physics. I love quantum physics. And I got oh, my brain blown apart today. Uh, if you don't know who Sabine Hofstetter is, she is a particle physicist, quantum physicist, however she describes herself on YouTube. She has a wonderful channel um, where she goes really in depth in particle physics. Um, and and I have what I would call a decent novice understanding of particle physics, not the math, the concepts, none of it. There are things still that that seem spooky, but I've. <laughs> Again, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this uh, conceptually, listening, guided by, and listening to many, uh, 50, 60, I don't know how many hours of lectures about it. Um, and so I thought I had a pretty good understanding on, uh, you know, uh, basic concepts like E equals MC squared from Einstein's special theory of relativity. Basically, in, it, energy is equal to mass times the speed of light squared. And it, it is, it's, a, it's a pretty good governing rule, uh, or it pretty good. It is a fantastic governing rule for telling uh, how energy and mass interact um, with, with each other, with everything. Um, and then I had a pretty, I, you know, I understand basic fundamental particles. Um, you know, you have electrons, you have in your, or you have your atoms, then you have in your atoms, there's electrons orbiting protons and neutrons in the, the nucleus. Uh, protons are two up quarks and one down quark. Neutrons are two down quarks and one up quark. Um, you know, I, I know, I know about, uh, the strong nuclear force binding them together. Gluons are the, uh, gluons are the, one of the fundamental particles, uh, particle-like energy packets, uh, that assist the strong nuclear force. 
um, things like that. Uh, they, you know, they glue ons glue corks together basically is how you say it. Um, in a really dumb way guy in a, in a me way. Um, but you know, I had, I had understood all of this. I understood. Um, and, and so she was talking about the, basically the, the, the speed of light be not being, not being so much an impassable thing that nothing can go past the speed of light. I've heard it forever. And I always thought that nothing with mass can go the speed of light. And she shows in a very clever way that, well, that's not in fact true. The, the limit, the, the hurdle to bypass is accelerating something with mass to the speed of light. And because of E equals MC squared, if you have anything with mass and you have to figure out how much energy do I need to put into this amount of mass to accelerate it to from a non-speed of light speed to the speed of light speed and you and you do the math on it, you will find the exponential curve of energy required to keep pumping in to something with mass. It will it, the, the amount of energy will need to turn to the infinite limit and it will turn and reach the infinite limit of your plot to and so that's basically what it's saying but you know we have things that we know go the speed of light or faster the inner the, the universe is expanding faster than the speed of light photons go the speed of light well why do photons go to the speed of light well because they're massless and so she's describing this and I'm going, I'm, I'm with it. Okay. Gotcha. And then she, I, I'm getting goosebumps right fucking now. She blows my mind. She goes, well, there's kind of a, a problem with E equals MC squared when we're talking about reaching the law or reaching the speed of light, which is C in E equals MC squared. And she demonstrates that very elegantly <laughs> that what is mass in E equals MC squared? Well, mass is the, 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 the combined weight, not weight because weight re requires gravity, but the mass is the, for, a, for lack of a better term, the weight of all of its per, per, er, constituents. Right. Well, what are we talking about here? We're talking about atoms. Okay, you break, you break down an atom. Electrons, yes, they have very, very, very minute amount of mass. Um, and, but, but, but almost nothing compared to the weight, entire weight of the atom itself. And so, when you when you okay, so it's the nucleus that weighs the majority of the atom, and they're made up of protons and neutrons, like I said. And okay, well, let me look at this proton. How much does it weigh? Okay, it weighs this much. Well, what's it made up of? Two up quarks and one down quark. All right, so so then each quark should weigh about a third of the proton, right? No. 
if you take actually the mass of the quarks, they are a small fraction of the entire weight of the proton itself. Same with the neutron. And then you ask yourself, okay, so if the quarks weigh a very tiny amount of the proton's weight, where does the extra mass come from? Well, that extra mass is actually the energy of the strong nuclear force, the gluons. The gluons don't have weight, but the energy of the binding strength, because at such small scale, at such small scales, energy is equal to mass times the speed of light squared. And then you can just reduce that down, that number C to whatever number you need to, right? The, 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 but energy is equal to mass. And so our, our, the, the nucleuses of atoms, most of the weight of that isn't the mass of the, the constituent particles. It is the, it is in fact the energy holding them together that weighs something. So when you say E equals MC squared, you're saying energy is equal to mass, which is mostly energy. And I went, oh, fuck. And then she goes, okay, so why do things have mass at all? And I went, oh, I know this. The Higgs field. The Higgs boson particle, you know, that. The, the, that thing we discovered in the Large Hadron Collider, uh, that boson is the representation of the propagation of the Higgs field, or it is the particle that propagates the Higgs field. I'm not entirely sure how that part works. And so she's explaining it, and she goes, um, yeah, so the thing that, that gives mass to particles is called the Higgs field condensate. And I'm like, condensate? And she goes, yes, because the Higgs field is everywhere all the time. Um, and it's only once the Higgs field condenses that it becomes sticky to quarks and electrons, slowing them down to give them mass. And my mind broke right there the first time i heard that the higgs field slows down particles to give them mass the higgs field isn't this thing i mean it it i i was under the assumption that the higgs field was a propagate propagative wave a wave-like property of the universe in where when particles interact with them, they are bestowed mass. I, I, I thought it, you know, things would be massless without it. I understood this, but I never understood the mechanism. And it's saying anything with energy going the sp photons go the speed of light because they have no mass. But they have no mass because they go the speed of light. And the Higgs field 
doesn't interact with photons. It interacts with electrons and quarks. And so, at the Big Bang, 10 up to like 10 to the minus 14th second or something like that, uh, when, when everything was very, 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 very hot, very early on, uh, the Higgs field was present, but it didn't condense. And so you had free electrons, you had photons, you had quarks, you had all this in this hot plasma soup. Uh, not bound, no, no elements yet, or I mean, no, no atoms even yet, no, nothing yet. There was, but as soon as the temperature dropped and long enough time occurred, the, the field condensed, the Higgs field condensed into the Higgs field condensate. And she described it like this. In our air, humidity is there because... Water droplets are suspended in the air. When they're not very tightly packed together, they're clouds. Or when they are tightly packed together, they're clouds. But when they're not, they're just humidity. Water droplets all over hot air suspends water droplets better than cold air. And at the end of the day, it can be rather humid and very hot out. Because the air is working really good at holding that humidity up from the, holding the water droplets apart from each other. They're not condensed. But then at nighttime, when the temperature cools and the air, and the air is now uh, less active, the water condenses and falls and turns into dew on your grass. And basically, as the universe cooled, the Higgs field condensed. And as it condensed, it became sticky and slowed down electrons that were massless until they interacted with the Higgs field and quarks that interacted with the Higgs field. And as soon as they were slowed down from the speed of light, they gained mass. Because the energy to, had to go somewhere. Can't be created or destroyed. So all that energy of this massless, light-speeding particle got turned into fucking mass. We are here because of a cosmic glue trap. And it was a mo- it was a, it was a beautiful moment for me because particle physics just made one ounce more sense. Something I didn't quite know, I didn't understand, now showed me a glaring hole in my not only my my understanding, but my concept to reason toward it. I I don't have I didn't have the schooling, the education. The, the scientific training and question asking to, to further propagate my line of thought to go how in fact I was fine thinking the Higgs just bestowed mass to particles, right? But it, it, 
that's actually more tricky than it just slows them down out of this from the speed of light. So it made me get a couple of questions at this point. Photons can be slowed down. Photons go the same photons go the speed of light 299,900 and something uh miles per second. Almost 300,000 miles per second is the speed of light in a vacuum. Light in the atmosphere of the earth travels slower than the speed of light in a vacuum. Not by much, but it does slow it down. You can slow them down even more in prisms. That's why they turn colors, because you're slowing them down long enough to change the wavelength of the fucking light. You're making it go that slow. My question is, which I have to find out, I have not done this yet, but it popped in my head. If the Higgs field slows electrons and quarks down from the speed of light and they gain mass from slowing down, does fo- do photons gain mass when we slow them down? If light bends and slows in a, gra- in a high gravitational area, does it gain mass? Or does the photon remain massless even under the speed of light? Or... Is it kind of a relativity thing where because it's a photon and it is light, <laughs> even in a medium like oxygen or our atmosphere, it's still the speed of light, right? It's because it is light, so it's it's still massless because it's going that fast. And I guess in that relative atmosphere, uh, because it's because the speed of light is a little slower, it would require more energy for the same amount of mass to get put into the speed of light in that medium than it would in the vacuum because you're having to overcome the resistance of the medium so you still can't so it can still be massless fuck man this math is hard this math is tough um but man it, it blew my mind and it made me feel uh it made me feel good for learning a new concept it made me feel inadequate for recognizing my lack of ability to discover that myself to 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 think about it and even get the question asked without even finding an answer first um yeah it it uh it rocked my little world man i'm still kind of i'm still in awe over it but it helped me formulate a couple things and, and put some stuff in mind for this part of the conversation, um, which I will do. Um, oh, where'd that go? Um, I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember where I, I had something I wanted to play for you all, but um, I don't anymore. Huh. Hold on. I need a, a fresh tune-up, you know what I'm saying? A little, like, hey, how you doing? Before I delve into this part. <coughs> oh, let me check on my snake. <coughs> Hold on, everybody. Okay, motherfucker. The snakes are fed and they're going back in their holes. 
They ate the rats. Now they'll digest them and they'll shit them out later. Fucking rats. Fucking snakes. You're a little snake and you're dying your home. And I'll turn off your lights. And you're fucking me no. Okay. All right, I'm back. So, I want to talk about how, about the what it looks like in in the steps that I had to I took for me to kind of work through my epistemology of how I how I rationalize information, how I navigate the world, how I um how I how I understand reality to be reality, uh, how all of those questions uh, can be answered from a foundational level for myself without, because here's the thing, we all make, we all make a lot of, every human makes a lot of uh, presuppositions. We presuppose things to have to be true for more of our worldview, more of our rationale to be true. They're called axioms. It is axiomatically true for our worldview. Not in, not in reality often, but for our internal model of reality. Um, they have to be true for other things for us to be true. Well, as part of being a skeptic, um, I want, I want to have, I want, first of all, I go by this kind of staple, um, and it is not of my own. I heard it and I adopted it because it is just so good for me. I want to believe as many, as many true things and as few false things as possible. And in accordance with that, I want my model of reality, my internal model of reality, to as closely match the external reality that is there without me there to observe it or not. And that brings into some questions. Well, how do I do that? Well, I have my senses. Well, how do you do that? Well, I think about it. Well, how do you think about it? Well, shit, that's a really good question. How, how would I start to go and prove that I'm a brain and I can think about it? Well, you have uh, Plato, or is it Socrates? One of those two. They may be the same person, in fact. Um, I think, therefore, I am. Huh. I think, therefore I am. Damn. I guess that's right. If if I'm if I'm sitting here thinking, I have to be here to be doing the thinking. Well, what if your thoughts are fake? What if someone's putting fake thoughts? But if I'm having thoughts 
if I'm recognizing, if I'm even recognizing that I'm thinking, whether they're my thoughts or not, that's thinking. I'm, I am participating in cognition. Okay. So I think with that, that's, I mean, true, you could go deeper, but that's truly enough to at least establish that I think that I exist. And then some of, some of this seems pedantic, but it, it is in fact true. Then, then in, in, you have to ask yourself, well, do I experience other people in the world? Do they think? How do I know that my brain isn't the only brain ever to exist? Shit, none of the world even has to exist. I could be a brain in a vat, floating in nothingness, and just imagining everything. Right? Well, how could that not be true? Fuck, how could that not be true? Um, I don't know, I need to do some research. And I did, and I did a lot. Turns out there's not really a solve for the problem of hard solipsism. That's what that that is called, mind independence, solips, solipsistic views, hard solipsism. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a whole field of uh, philosophy. Um. And there's not really a, a solution to it. But there's a lot of examples that would make it hard to believe. Like the fact that uh, I meet people I've never met before and they tell me stuff. Would My brain would have to make up. They tell me stuff that I've never heard before, right? So they... they my brain would have to be making up other people out of whole cloth, inventing entire things, facts, stories that they have to share. And then I would forget about all of those that my brain created to just feed me stuff that I never knew. And that seems hard to believe. Um, so I guess my first big assumption that I have to make if I'm being honest with myself about how I rationalize the world is I have to assume that I am not the only mind and act as if now, do I think I am? No, of course not. I, 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 I definitely don't think it is a, 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 I, I know it, right? Uh, Ooh, that's another good thing I should talk about real fast. Belief and knowledge. Um, so knowledge is a subset of belief. If you were to draw a Venn diagram, you have a big circle. And that is the circle of belief. You either believe something, any given proposition, any given proposition it's easy it's a it's a it's just one circle you either believe it or you don't it is there isn't another option you're either inside the circle or outside of the circle you can't be in both 
Well, inside that, inside that circle of belief is knowledge. And you can be in a circle where I believe something, but I don't know it. And, and, and belief, I'm not talking about faith. I'm talking about belief as in you're given evidence and reasoned into being convinced of a proposition. I believe that. Um, and someone can say, no, 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 no. You have to know something. You have to know about something before you can believe it. You can't just believe in the tooth fairy if you've never heard it. Ah, this is the problem with English language sometimes. Um, in that case, you're not talking about knowledge. You're talking about awareness. Yeah, sure. You have to be aware of a proposition. You have to be given the proposition before belief can be possible. Of course. But that's not knowledge. Another good way to describe knowledge is, um, I don't like it, but some people like it. And it's a great starting point for conversation. Um, justified true belief. Um, that's a, the, the, uh, JTB method of knowledge is a, is, it's a good starting point. Um, I heard this, this definition of knowledge and I, I really, really like it because it, again, it, it, it resonates with me and it doesn't seem untrue. Um, knowledge is a belief that you hold so strongly that it would be completely worldview shattering to learn that it was wrong. That's what knowledge is. And we have to be honest about ourselves using that definition, how much we know, right? <laughs> how many things do you know? Or how many things do you hope you know? Because we do this tricky thing where we put our hope in the in something to be true. We put our hope in it, but we don't actually know, right? So let's go back to the minds. I have to presuppose that other minds exist. And from there... All right, there's a bunch of minds. Well, how do I how do I tell about how how do I reason anything? Um well, if you look into that, there is what seems to be a pretty universal set of ideas called the laws of logic. Um and they are the they are three laws that describe how rationality works they are a um a set of parameters to which any statement proposition anything can be filtered through to check for if it's logical um the laws are Identity, non-contradiction, and excluded middle. So basically, uh, it, it, it goes as follows. It's like, uh, identity is A is equal to A. 
A is not B, and A and A can't be both A and not A at the same time. I th- I'm I'm pr- see I'm bad at this too. Hold on. Let me look this fucking thing up real fast. Oh gosh. You see, Square syncs up all sales. Fucking ads. Everything is what it is, isn't what it isn't, and nothing is neither or both. Yes, that right there. Everything is what it is, it isn't what it isn't, and it can't be both neither and both. So A is A, A isn't B. Or A is A, A is not not A, and and it can't and A can't both be A and not A at the same time. That's how it works. Yes, yes, yes. And 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 that works with everything. That's how we that's how we think about things. That's how we identify things. That's how we tell things apart. That's how you can tell the difference between an apple and an orange. That's how all of our processing is done. And the cool thing about the laws of logic is they're true. Whether or not there's anyone there to be with it. Whether or not there are any minds to perceive and do logic. They're still true. Atoms are atoms. They're not not atoms and they can't be both atoms and not atoms at the same time. The universe. You can do anything and that's for any proposition. And so, are they absolutely true all the time? You know, I, I don't see where they're not, but I can't make the assumption, therefore, they are always true. But there's kind of another presupposition that I think we're forced to take uh, if we want to start being rational and, and thinking about how we think about things. There's another one. So, okay, so I'm up to two now. Um, and these, this is the foundation of how I rationalize. So now I, I recognize that I'm not the only mind. Other minds exist. Um, I now can recognize and tell things apart and do basic syllogistic formulas for reasoning. Um, I know I can, I can do dichotomies. Uh, I can do if-then statements now. I can do... Um, okay. I'm starting to get a pretty good formula on, on this stuff. Okay. Um, where do I find myself? Well, I find myself on earth with, with what seems to be the only other thinking minds in the universe at this moment that we can tell all of the thinking minds are here. Holy shit. Um, well, what seems, um, I guess what seems to matter? <sighs> well, we hate to die. We especially hate to die painfully. We like pleasure. Um, in fact, <laughs> humans and other animals, all animals, will go a far 
deal out of their way to get some pleasure and avoid pain and suffering. <clears throat> That's interesting. Um, whether you want to look at it like a hedonistic way, uh, a utilitarian way, um, it kind of seems like after I figured out how to uh, after I figured out and thought about my mind and other minds and how I think about things um, and I recognize that I share the same planet with all of the other minds in existence and their minds are a lot like my mind in fact eerily similar uh they don't like hot shit burning them like i don't like hot shit burning me they probably don't like being lied to or yelled at or discriminated like i don't um and it's funny you can Oh yeah, that's the golden rule of the Bible. Uh, you know, do unto others as they would have them do unto you. And, well, it's funny. Yeah, that's that's a one good example of something like the golden rule uh being written down. But it didn't come from that. See, we had this, we evolved with this. This this came out of us. This is a this is what happens when in social creatures. And we're not the only ones. And we can recognize that on the planet. And, um, you know, so the next kind of thing is, I think that's imperative, is once you've kind of established and worked up some of that, how you think about stuff, how you rationalize. Do you have good tools of rationality? Uh, do you have a basic understanding of... Uh, just some some generic uh logical fallacies can you recognize flawed thought processes you know if if just a basic understanding of if then statements and syllogisms can let you take most propositions given to you and at least do a cursory reading to see if they pass a sniff test doesn't mean you have to know everything that's presented to you but you can listen for arguments presented in a way to convey truth or to uh, obfuscate it. Um, but the next big important thing truly is is ethics and morality. And how do you build a system of ethics and and morality around all of these minds and these people who are eerily similar to you on this planet? How do we how do we have a way to out to objectively figure out a way to treat people well not just oh i treat them well because i like them and i don't treat them well because i hate them we need we need something outside of our wants our inclinations our flaws right well man it's funny yet again to Aaron. Don't you hear yourself? That sounds like God. Oh, yeah. Silly me. Sorry. 
uh, God, the almighty morality giver. Uh, but is it? See, if we're looking for somewhere to ground our morals, and you want to say, I ground my morals in the teachings of God or the teachings of Christ or Allah or Vishnu or anything like that. Um, here's the thing, guys. You're, you're, that's not objective. Because if, if, is if what God says is moral to you is moral, then what if God changes his mind? See, God condones things like slavery and genocide and uh, inequality and mistreatment of women and um, favoritism and uh, eternal punishment for finite crimes. All of that is supported by God. And if maybe not, if not directly going, I want you to do this, which he does say that about slavery. He absolutely tells you what slaves, where to get them, how long you keep them, how you punish them, what to do if they die, how you're punished if you die, how you can sell them and pass them down to your children. All that is expressed expressly commanded by God. But here's one thing that you never see in the entirety of the Bible. Thou shalt not own other humans as property. Never once. Lots of fucking chances. There was a whole thing called a Sermon on a Mount that was a perfect chance for to right any of those wrongs. How about um, females are not second class citizens and are not dirty just because uh, they menstruate or give birth. They shall not be quarantined for longer if they give birth to a female than a male. Um, how about no genital mutilation for males or females? Um, infinite, infant genital mutilation. How about that, by the way? Um, you know, there are lots of things you know, it says, thou shalt not kill, but God, he went to Abraham and wanted him to kill his own son until, oh, right, the last minute changed his mind. Right? Depending on which version of the Bible you read. So if God came to you and said, hey, the thing f to do to f follow me and get into heaven is kill these people or do this heinous act, uh, you know, lock your, lock your son or daughter in a closet and set it on fire so you don't end up in a fire for eternity. With God as the, the, the head of the moral chain, you're subjective to his wills, his wants, um, it's slippery. You, you, you haven't grounded anything for yourself. You haven't done any of the work yourself to figure out why 
you act as if it is moral or not. Why you care? If it's just passed to you, you have done no work. So there's things we have to recognize. Human well-being is preferable to human suffering. Hmm. You know, I'm sure you could pick out people who individually don't want, don't care about their own individual well-being or the well-being of others. But on a whole, I think if you wanted to talk to anybody about morality and ethics and the treat the well treatment of people, the, the 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 kindness and the humanity, there's a reason we have that word of people. You and you ask them what they mean, and you nail it down. What they're talking about is the promotion or establishment of well-being for themselves or the others around them, the people they love, the people in the conversation, the avoidance of suffering for those people, right? Well, if that sounds like a pretty good goal, the promotion and aim towards Maximizing human well-being and limiting suffering. Yeah, but Aaron, that's subjective. How can you how can you tell at all about how how can you stand outside of that? You're putting yourself into it. You if you want your kids to have this, then no, it's moral because because that's their well-being. But you can downtrodden others or or look beside the millions of starving kids who don't have anything and you're worrying about which pair of shoes for your kids, right? Like I understand. Yeah. Great. Well, there's this wonderful Scottish philosopher, uh, John Rawls. I think it was an 18th century, 19th century philosopher from the mid 1800s. I th- I'm pretty sure John Rawls, or early 1900s, late eight- mid 1800s. I don't know, somewhere right in there. Um, and he came up with this wonderful mechanism for judging morality. And it's called the veil of ignorance. I've talked about it before on the show, but this is, I want this to be like one nice concise thing. And the veil of ignorance is this wonderful thing where presented with a situation and wondering if it's a moral act or not, you remove yourself from the act, you stand behind a curtain. And then you're presented with what this thing could be, what's going to happen. And you're going to be in that action, but you don't, you could be any party in it. So let's say, for instance, um, you have a, uh, a slave trader going to a, a place and acquiring, buying, or selling slaves. Is that moral? Well, if you, according to the slave, I mean, I'm sure the slave doesn't want to be owned. Um, I'm sure the slave would like to be free and 
have a say over his own autonomy, uh, who he could love, where he can be, where he could travel, all of those things. Yeah, but the slave owner has a family to feed. He has employees. He has to, he's keeping other people alive. This is, I mean, I know it's terrible, but it, it's the, it's the times. It's, 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 you know, it's second century AD Rome. Of course they had slaves. It, now we would never allow it. But back then, you know, it, that was just culture. It sucks. But see, I would say that of course it was immoral. And the whole point is, is you get taken out of that situation and you can be put in that situation as either the slave being bought and sold or the, the traitor himself. You could be the murderer or the person getting murdered. You could be the child being spanked or the parent spanking the child. And you have to, in those, you can't say, oh yeah, but parenting, you know, you, 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 sometimes you just have to get through and reach your, through to your kids and, and they have to understand that, that no is no, right? And, and you take this and say, okay, you're a three-year-old and you're getting hit or a five-year-old. Oh, but it's only on the butt. No, you're a five-year-old getting hit. It doesn't matter what the parent thinks in this. It doesn't matter any of their justification in this. That's the thing you have to be able to step behind to be able to judge these things independently on their own basis from any party in the action. And if we have a preference toward maximizing human well-being and limiting suffering, and we have a mechanism like the veil of ignorance to judge actions, with the goal being human well-being, I think we have a pretty fucking good moral system. It sounds a lot like this old, uh, this this old, this little old worldview called humanism. It's fantastic, wonderful, wonderful. Uh, way to describe your ethics and morality and put them in a place to be conveyed to others and how you think. What are you? Oh, I'm a humanist. You're a humanist? Yeah, but, but, but what, no, I'm, I'm not religious. I don't believe in a God. I'm a humanist. You're, you're a Christian. I know you're going to say that, but you're probably a humanist too because humanists don't have a doctrine. They don't have a dogma. They don't have any any tenets to follow or you'll be punished forever or you're either in or you out do you care about humans and prioritize their well-being hmm do you care about equality do you any any of that stuff you're probably a humanist and you don't know it so one of my pre the things i'm presupposing here i'm presupposing that i'm not the only mind that other minds exist I presuppose the laws of logic because I can't, I don't see how they could be unverified. 
but they, they are absolutely necessary. <clears throat> I presuppose that human well-being is, is a preferable goal for morality. Um, and in doing that, It's subjective. It's like chess. It's, ex it's, it's like the game of chess. The game of chess and the rules for it in itself are completely arbitrary. They could have been anything. Someone made them what they are. That's what they are. They're arbitrary. They're subjective. But once you define the rules the way they are, and you make the goal to win or, or not lose, because you can stalemate in chess, if you make the goal to not lose, then every move, offensive or defensive, from the instantiation of the game to the conclusion of it, can be judged objectively on the goal. Even though the rules are subjective. And you know what? If I'm having to presuppose that the reason for me to be moral is something as simple as it seems that the laws of nature dictate that human well-beings human beings prefer not suffering i mean you can you can test it yourself put your hand on a hot stove you, you obviously know you don't like to suffer in fact you avoid it at all costs. And we hate it when we do. It seems like a safe bet to just suppose that it is the case that that's true, right? The laws of nature seem to show it. If you talk to anybody, they will tell it to you. And then you use an objective tool like the veil of ignorance to judge the morality of something. You know, and I, and I know I have a few more presuppositions that I use to, to navigate uh, smaller parts of my reality. But as far as how I think about things, how I rationalize things, and how I treat other people, that covers a lot of the base of how I actually exist in reality. Um, and then I have a tools, you know, I, I, things like the scientific method, learning and understanding the scientific method for understanding that paired with healthy skepticism, some laws of logic, learning some logical fallacies. And you start, and then you practice using those all the time. You're constantly checking yourself. You're checking your own biases. You're putting yourself behind the veil on decisions. Um, and after a while, you start to develop a far easier, more consistent toolbox for anything. For someone coming and telling you the Earth's only 6,000 years old. Or the fucking election was stolen and voting machines were hacked. And or uh, fucking Democrats 
have a, uh, you know, whatever giant pedophile ring and, uh, George Soros is a lizard person or, um, I mean, fuck dude, take any claim you're told. Do they pass the smell test? Are they begging the question? Um, you know, are they, uh, I, I, I could give more examples. I'm starting to get tired. I went a little longer than I thought I was going to on this one. Uh, I felt myself rambling and I was just stoned enough where my brain was kind of in that like slippy, slippy mode. Um, yeah, I had a good one. You know, I, I think that's a good starting point. I, I, uh, I'm going to listen back to this after all of that and it'll spark something in my head and I'll, I'll continue more. If you guys have questions or thoughts, if, if you think I didn't cover something, if you're still not understanding how I got somewhere, um, or wondering where to go next, uh, email me, write me, continue to give me your feedback and I will, um, I would love to answer it. So I think, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I think it's, I think this was a good start. I think I was able to get some of my thoughts out. Um, at least about how I begin to navigate my interaction with the rest of the world, with reality, with humanity, uh, my foundational reasons for do for doing so. Um, and you know, it also helps you kind of streamline what you care about. Uh, Oh yeah. And then I guess the only other tool for that is, is, is then you need something for self-regulation. Um, you know, I, I like, uh, I like meditating, mixed with some with some like kind of modern stoicist stoicism um routines you know establishing some of that i mean you know that that just gets you for your cognition your epistemology for attacking the world um and then and then you have your thoughts man and that's a whole nother thing uh you know, just your internal monologue, your ego fighting with you all the time, um, self-doubt, the criticism, the shame. We, you know, basically, if you once you get to that part, uh, you go back and listen to the episode with me and Aaron, and uh, we covered that pretty well. Um, and she will be back. Man, I got some great podcasts coming soon for you all. Um. I got some great podcasts for you coming soon. I really do. Some pretty cool guests. Um, I'm stacked already all the way until, I mean, fuck, third week of May, guys, and uh, more people piling in, going to start giving me their yeses, you know. So here's hoping anyway. Um, I want you all to take it easy to yourselves. Be kind to each other. Uh, drive like you know each other. Uh, yeah, have a great one.
Oh, nope. I forgot. Oh, oh, I almost fucking forgot. Hold on. Oh, oh, God. Oh, I just had to run out to the front because I forgot this fucking book, but you guys won't even know uh, that I did it because I will edit all that fucking sound out. But then you'll hear me talking about it. Okay. Some more Shell Silverstein, everybody. Light in the Attic. We got this one now. We didn't have this one the last time we read it. Um, oh. The fanciest dive that ever was dove was done by Melissa of Coconut Grove. She bounced on the board and flew into the air with a twist of her head and a twirl of her hair. She did 34 jackknives, backflipped and spun, quadruple gainered and reached for the sun, and then somersaulted nine times and a quarter and looked down and saw the pool had no water. Always sprinkle pepper in your hair. Always sprinkle pepper in your hair. For then if you are kidnapped by a wild barzazoop, barbazoop, who sells you to a ragged hag, who wants you for her soup, she'll pick you up and sniff you, and then she'll sneeze at you, and say, by tot, you're, too, you're much too hot, I fear you'll never do. And with a shout, she'll throw you out, and you'll run away from there, and soon you'll be a safe at home... A, You'll be safe at home a-sittin' in your chair. If you always, 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 always sprinkle pepper in your hair. The saddest thing I ever did see was a woodpecker pecking at a plastic tree. He looked at me and said, friend, he says, or he looked at me and friend, says he, this thing ain't sweet as they used to be. <gasps> oh, that's... Oh, that's a brilliant poem, Shel Silverstein. Oh, whoa, that's got layers. The saddest thing I ever did see was a woodpecker pecking at a plastic tree. He looks at me and, friend, says he, things ain't sweet as, things ain't as sweet as they used to be. Oh, no shit, Woodpecker. Things ain't. Mm. Oh, this one's called... Oh, Jesus. This one's called Skin Stealer. This evening I unzipped my skin and carefully unscrewed my head. Exactly as I always do when I prepare myself for bed. And when I slept, a cuckoo came, as naked as could be, and put on the skin and screwed on the head that once belonged to me. Now wearing my feet, he runs through the street in a most disgraceful way, doing things and saying things I'd never do or say, tickling the children and kicking the men and dancing the ladies away. So if he makes your bright eyes cry or makes your poor head spin, that scoundrel you, the scoundrel you see is not really me. He's the cuckoo who's wearing my skin. That's terrifying and also slightly charming because he just danced with the ladies.
Um, all right. Yeah. Now I can say it. Uh, I love you all. Thanks for joining me. You know. Hey, friend. Yo, everybody. Uh, Sunday night, just got home. Oh, not too long ago from, uh, from my gig. And I was talking about earlier in this episode, uh, how, uh, how I was hoping you would go. And, you know, I'm, I'm home now and I've been reflecting. I let myself down immediately after the show. I wasn't feeling very good about myself. Um, I, this morning I started getting either how I slept last night or something I did yesterday. I woke up and I had this slight pinch twinge thing behind my, uh, right shoulder blade, my picking hand. Um, and so I was massaging that and Beth was helping me through that all day. And I, uh, so I had that kind of going on, um, but by showtime, it wasn't really bothering me at all, actually. it uh, Beth had rubbed it really good right before, like 10 minutes before we went on stage. And then I was wearing my bass and hopping around and warming up. And um, yeah, that was good. I got on stage and we started playing and things felt pretty good. I think I went in. I don't think I warmed up well enough before the show. I was kind of cold coming on stage, colder than I probably should have been. Um, I was nervous. And so I found myself gripping my pick, my picking hand was, was pinching really tight. Um, and I, I definitely started feeling fatigued in my picking hand halfway through the set before the important songs. And then the important songs came and I didn't play them how good I could have, how good I'd practiced for weeks. And, uh, live in the show, I started, uh, I, whatever, spiraling. Um, I found myself trying to play. I found myself like real time trying, worrying in my head about upcoming parts in a song or, or how I was doing during this song. My vocals suck tonight. I sang like garbage. Um, you know, and, uh, people afterwards were, you know, the thing, oh man, that was great. Oh, you guys were awesome. Oh, that played, you played so good, but they're, you know, I, I get that every show, regardless of how I play. I think people are just nice and they want to tell you something nice. And, but I, I let myself down. I didn't, I didn't, uh, I think I came in too cocky <clears throat> how good our practices had been the last couple of weeks. And I was feeling really good, but there was no pressure. I was down in my, I was comfortable. I was practicing. I wasn't <clears throat> feeling rushed or putting on any masks or feeling performative. You know, in, in all honesty, I wasn't practicing like I played. Oh, hi, Kina. Um, I wasn't practicing like I played. I wasn't, uh, yeah. And then I came, you know, I came to the show and I went on a little colder than I should have been. I didn't take warming up as seriously as I should have. 
Um, and part of the problem is, is I don't practice as much as I want to. I, I practice, but I don't play my bass as aggressively as I should, as much as I should. I'll pick it up and I'll tootle on it and I'll work on stuff, but I'm, I'm, I'm playing very light. I'm usually not plugged in. I'm not playing with full intensity. Um, and so me letting myself down there, recognizing that I, I just don't, I'm not as in shape as I should be. Um, I didn't play as well as I could have because I burnt out too early. I went too hard, too fast, burnt my hand out. Uh, I let nerves get the best of me. I didn't sing well. Um, yeah, it was a weird, a weird show. It, it definitely, you know, it was, it was like a year and a half since we'd last played and, uh, September of 2021. And I, um, I was worried about the rust and I definitely felt it. And I think, oh, hi, babe. No, come here. I'm, uh, the podcast I recorded the other night, I, um, I talked about my gig. And so I was just coming back on now to do a little recap of it for the episode going out in the morning. Tell them how, how did you, how do you think the gig went? I think it went really well. No, get get closer. Oh. I think it went really well from someone that was listening off stage and not being overcritical of myself. I think it went really well. You all haven't played live in how long? Yeah, I just got done saying that a year and a half. Okay, well, I didn't know that, but yeah, a year and a half, and it sounded really good. And I feel like I heard, what? I heard Matt's voice crack. Yeah, on the couple notes in yeah, the snake. But I did not hear yours do anything wrong. And I didn't hear your instrument. I could tell that Mark was having moments where he couldn't hear you guys. Because mm. he kept looking sideways and I like like he was putting his ear to, towards you. But other than that, it sounded really good. And I was definitely bopping and foot tapping and I couldn't stop myself because I knew him. I heard it. <laughs> well yeah, you I heard him rumbling from under my feet before. Yeah, every practice. Well, thank you. I still don't feel good about it. Well, you're going to watch the videos that I took, and then you're going to be like, oh, that was pretty good. You're right. And I'll be like, I told you so. See, she brought me evidence, everybody. <clears throat> That's what I'm talking about. I can sit here in my head and replay it in my head. Um, but she brought evidence. She brought video. So, yeah, I had one, one really weird moment. Um, there, after, uh, after we were done playing, we went over and sat in a booth in the back just me and Beth by ourselves because uh, that, that's, that's the kind of people we are. And we sat in this booth in the back and, you know, I'm trying to be incognito. I don't want to be approached necessarily by people to tell me how good they thought I did. Um, I was in my head and somebody walked by and they looked in like at us and he went, oh, you're the bass player. And I was like, yeah, man. And he goes, you guys, you guys sounded really good. You, you played really well. And he gave me like this really nice compliment, truly, actually. Um, <laughs> and then he goes, oh, and then he like, he like walked away and then came back. Like, like he took in the middle of a step, he realized he had one more thing to say and he came back and he goes, um, oh, and you know, not, not to be like that asshole, but, um, out front, your bass was too loud. 
<laughs> you know, it's sometimes I couldn't hear the guitar. And I'm thinking to myself, well, one, uh, we Matt was running True Stereo, two amps on stage, tr- two cabinets on stage, split left and right. Um, and then I, yeah, I was a adjusted bull of my, my stage volume, but I had no control over the front of house mix. And if the kid running sound didn't mix the front of house right, of course my bass would be too loud. But it was funny. The guy made the comment to me like, Hey, just to let you know next time, do something about that. It was weird. Wasn't that weird? Then he wanted to have a mosh pit. Oh, yeah. Then he tried to have a mosh pit by himself. Oh, that's fucking great. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Best meal prepping us for the week. And uh, she just gave me a sample of the meat sauce. And it it is delish. It is delish. Um, yeah, I just thought I would give that, let you guys know that, that I was, I, I, I felt in the episode that you guys had just listened to, I felt very, I felt very good about that. I felt prehensively very good about the podcast. And now I, um, I don't. But I just, it highlighted what I need to work on, things I need to take more seriously. And um, I need to eat. I didn't, <laughs> that was the other fucking thing I didn't do. I didn't eat. And there was like definitely twice during during the show where I, uh, I, f- I almost passed out. Found myself like, hey, catch yourself, stand up straight, don't jump around, don't headbang for a second. Thank you, babe. Shove it all, why don't you? Yeah, it's her spot. Anyway, everybody, that's it. This was rambling, and uh, you know, I just wanted to keep it real, show the truth. Uh, so yeah, have a great one.